Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Carrillo. Today we have Danny Rendazzo. Danny is an author, entrepreneur, real estate investor, host of a real estate mastermind, and national speaker. He's a managing partner at PassiveInvesting.com, LLC, which has a portfolio value of over $220 million, and their firm has acquired over 2,000 units. So thank you so much for being on the show, Danny. Charles, happy to be here and talk about real estate investing. I love it. So just excited to see how I can add some value. Yeah, that's great. So give us a little background on yourself prior to starting your, uh, your current real estate company. Yeah, so my background, I got started um, kind of in the business world doing some financial consulting. So I worked for one of the big four. Um, I actually worked for Accenture and Deloitte Consulting for about nearly a decade and started to learn how businesses operate and function. And at the same time, um, had the grueling nine to five schedule of on top of that, also traveling around the country to see my clients. And with that, I kind of looked future, looked into the future and saw, you know, what a partner does at some of these firms and how often they are on the road and away from home. And I thought to myself, that's not the lifestyle that I want to have. And, you know, at through the evolution um, of family um, with that. And, you know, my wife didn't really support that lifestyle either of always being away. And so we made the decision to kind of pack everything up, relocate from San Francisco, California to Charleston, South Carolina to build the life that we wanted to have. So we took control of our destiny and really changed our environment. The environment in the Bay Area is not super conducive to cash flow investing or value add investing. It's super competitive. You need um, deep pockets to get started. And we looked around the country and identified Charleston as the place to go to. And very quickly, um, we put our money where our mouth was. So we wanted to be real estate investors first and foremost, and prove the concept before bringing any passive investors into the business. And so we bought a $1 million commercial office building right off the bat because it met our goals. And everything I, I do and say, and I think it's so important for you know the global investor listeners, is to figure out your goals. And everything should be about what your goals are um, when you're getting started. And so our goal was to have an investment that cash flowed $5,000 a month. And that's what we found. We mm -hmm. kind of filtered out all of the single family stuff because that was not going to produce the cash flow that we wanted to build and have to slowly and methodically replace that W-2 income. And eventually, you know, I did replace my W-2 income. I quit my job. I'm a full-time real estate investor now. And all we do is focus on multifamily assets um, because it's the most scalable and it is um, one of the best asset classes where you can physically 
do the work or oversee the people, right? I'm not strapping on a tool belt, but we'll oversee the people who are improving the interiors of the units or improving the exteriors, creating a better environment where people are willing to pay more in rent. Thus, we can push the net operating income, the NOI on an asset and have it be more valuable because of our hard work, not based on a comp or what an appraiser thinks, but because the income is generated and it's worth more from that. So the multifamily assets is all we look at now and it's really only value add opportunities because of what I just said, us being able to put in the work to create value, create equity, um, and generate returns for us and our investors. And so we're always investors first and foremost, that's the hat we wear when we look at and evaluate deals. Uh, because we we want to be aligned and have the same goals as our investors. So it all comes back to that goal mm. strategy. And so that's what we're kind of up to today. Yeah. It's always good to have that alignment of interest uh, with your investors. Um, with your first property, the commercial property, do you still own that today? Still own it today. Yep. And just let it cash flow. How, many, actually, how many tenants do you have there? We have um, one, a school rents out three units. And then we have three other individual tenants. So four tenants out of six total offices. And my strategy with that asset was to buy it, um, get the entire property fully occupied. We bought it with one vacancy. So we mm -hmm. bought it at a discount, did the hard work, filled the space up mm -hmm. and refied the property. I think around the 18 month mark of ownership and actually oh. pulled out all of the initial 200 that we invested in it. So nice. we own that the return on it is, is basically infinity. We have yeah. no money into it, but I always evaluate assets, not only just on like ROI, but ROE. So return on equity, yeah. right? If, if you buy a property, like we've seen this a lot in the Denver market, where if you bought a property in 2015 for a hundred grand, it may be worth 500,000 today. And you know, you're 20% down five years ago, it, it was making a decent return, but now you've got all of this equity built up in the property and your return could be, you know, maybe less than like three or 4% on an annual basis, which, you know, it's time to maybe rethink your strategy um, from an investment standpoint or repurpose that equity and capital into something different. Yeah. It's, uh, do you find it much harder to rent out those commercial, those commercial units uh, space versus multifamily? Yes. It's just a different, um, it's a different, different animal tenant yeah. class that you work with. So if you have a commercial building, um, I, I would typically budget maybe three to six months to fill a vacancy. Um, and that's because companies move slowly. And once you get it filled up, they typically want to stay there for longer duration. So you may have three, five, 10 year leases with four or five year extension options. And so once you get them in, I feel like the hard work is kind of done. Then you just yeah. need to have good customer service and take care of them and, and make sure you're, you're responsive to their needs, which are, you know, this many a month compared to multifamily where you've got a bunch of requests. Um, but your pool of residents is so much greater or tenants. Um, 
on a multifamily side and they tend to turn over quicker. So yeah, that's why I found too. I have one property. It's a mixed use property. It's got some commercial in there and it's smaller, but it takes the right tenant. But once you find the right one in there, it will at least 36 months longer, 48 months that you'll have them in there at least uh, usually five years plus, depending on the type of space it is. It sounds like you have some really solid tenants in there. But um, getting back to multifamily and going forward with your, your purchases, what did you do after that million dollar purchase? You, you added some value to it. You got your money out within a year and a half. What were your subsequent purchases? Um, we did another commercial deal a month or two after closing that first one. And, you know, I was so eager to close that first deal kind of on our own. It was just my wife and I. And the, the reason for that was to really build our proof of concept, to have the credibility um, when you're talking to potential investors that you know the real estate market. Hey, I'm actually invested in this market. I have this property and it's doing this return, you know, is it something that you may be interested in if another opportunity comes up? So shortly thereafter, uh, we got into another commercial building. I brought a couple of kind of friends and family into that deal and slowly started to build up that real estate experience or resume, if you will, with a variety of deals in there. So when I speak to someone about real estate, I typically tell them I've done almost all types of real estate investment opportunities that are out there um, with the exception I've never owned a mobile home park but I've done a short sale I've done I bought properties through foreclosure um, we've bought distressed assets directly from owners we have done commercial property we've done multifamily property and that experience has really allowed me to see value add multifamily going back to what I said earlier it's one of the best investments yeah. to have some scalability with scalability comes security and you have the ability to force appreciation when you buy a value add deal. Yeah. No, it's definitely, it's definitely true. It's um, it's such a powerful asset class within real estate. Um, so with passiveinvesting.com, what, um, what's a typical business plan? What do your, what do you look for when you're vetting a deal and um, you know, just go walk us through kind of how that works. Yeah, we we are very strict in our criteria. So we have about seven markets in the Southeast US. We look at Jacksonville in Orlando, Florida, Charleston in Greenville, South Carolina, Raleigh in Charlotte, North Carolina, and then the Atlanta MSA. And even within those markets, we are very strict in having kind of A to B plus areas. And within those excellent areas where people love living, we want to buy a B-class asset. So maybe it's, you know, 20 years old, maybe, maybe 30 built in the 90s or newer, um, where we can go in and easily see a proven business model. So all of the markets that we invest in, you know, there's a ton of multifamily properties within a mile or three mile radius. And we like that. What that means is we can evaluate a business plan. For instance, what we look for when vetting a deal is what's going on specifically in the market, but also within that sub-market, kind of that one three mile radius of our property to make sure that economic fundamentals, job growth, population growth, annual household income, projected rent growth, 
all of these economic factors are good. Mm -hmm. And once we qualify that, then we'll look at the competition and say, okay, there's a 1990 property. It's a like kind asset. It's a very similar comp to our target asset. They are currently renovating units, putting new granite, new countertops, uh, new flooring, new appliances in, and they're getting a $150 rent premium. If we buy our asset, we should be able to get conservatively a $125 premium because we're very identical. People are driving on the same road. Um, and so that's kind of how we vet a deal first to qualify it and say, okay, is there a proven business plan? Because we don't want to go into a market and be a market leader, right? We just kind of want to follow what's going on and what's working in that market. Real estate is a slow investment, right? It's a longer duration investment. And we want to make sure that the absorption, meaning the potential residents in the area will absorb and rent our renovated units when we're doing a value add property. And so with that approach, we're always conservative in what we try to do from an income assumption perspective. So if I was saying the competition is renting at $150 premium, we may be conservative in saying that we're just going to get $125 premium. And that basically puts us in, you know, third or fourth or fifth position in terms of price per square foot when you look at like kind assets in the market. So we like to be conservative. And the reason for that is if we're just a little bit more affordable than the competition, we're going to always be able to maintain our occupancy goal that we want to have for each asset. And so what that allows us to do is, again, because we're investors first, we want to have monthly cash flow. And so having good occupancy allows us to produce cash flow and have monthly returns for our investors on a monthly basis because we're buying a well-maintained, well-occupied property where we can renovate units as they become vacant and execute that business plan. Yeah. No, that's, um, that's one of the things we find is finding the apples to apples comparison on the comps because you can look on whatever you're looking on, uh, apartment, Zillow, Craigslist, whatever it is. If, oh, there's a bunch of two ones. Well, that doesn't really happen. It has to be close to it. Sometimes it has to be in the same neighborhood. And because if you have a weird property location, you're like, oh, it's a mile away. Well, a mile can make a big difference. Huge um, difference. Um, what side of the road you're on, if you're going, if people are commuting, um, all this kind of stuff. So really figuring out and finding those comps, that's when you really have an idea of, is this a good deal or if this is going to work? That's what, in, in, you know, in our experience, how we do it. So what are some of the red flags that you'll see with a potential purchase where you might sideline it or you might have to put into a little bit more in-depth underwriting before moving to the next step? Yeah, one of the first red flags that we would have is from a physical location perspective. So as you said, a mile down the road or the different side of the street can make a significant difference. And so we always will go out and do a physical walk through of the property. And, you know, Grant Cardone is famous for saying it's all about the feel when you get there. Yeah. And it, it makes a huge difference. So does it feel good? Do people look happy in the area? You know, are, is it well maintained around there? Are there things within walking distance that are close, right? Everybody wants to 
walk down the street to Whole Foods, or at least jump in the car and be there in five minutes. And so we, we value a lot on that feel. And if we get to a property and you know, it might be a very nice asset, but directly across the street is an eyesore property. And then down the street, there's a vacant building. Like that may be a red flag for us. And so if it doesn't pass our field test, we would kick it out. Um, another red flag would be from that comp perspective. If we're not able to add enough value to a deal, if we can't get the $125 rent premium, um, and maybe the rent premium is only $65, like that may not work for our business model. And so from a financial perspective, uh, we kick out a lot of deals. If, you know, the broker may tell you, oh, it's $150 rent premium, but then you do your own research and you realize that it's maybe 75 and it, it ruins your business model. Yeah. Um, so that would be another red flag to kick a deal out. Um, and then I would say thirdly, you know, if the seller is trying to hide something, um, we, we buy from institutional sellers. And so it's, it's all professionals. Um, there's not, there's not a lot of times where that happens. And, you know, we of course do all of our proper third party inspections and, you know, lender diligence and appraisals and environmental studies and, um, what else from a construction standpoint we'll do surveys and all of those fun third-party reports yeah. that uh that cost a, a pretty penny <laughs> when you're looking at a closing statement but you know what that does it allows us to bring the professionals in yeah. and really get down to the nitty-gritty and make sure that it's the the deal that we expect to be buying yeah you're all dealing with 150 unit plus complex is that correct right Okay. Yeah. So with that, it's going to be much more professional than getting someone that's running stuff through Excel. The mom and pop, yeah, mom and pop situation. Does maybe. stuff on paper still. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we look at that uh, smaller stuff that comes in, but even, I mean, we were reviewing a 45 unit and they were doing their accounting on uh, all the accounting was done on the bank statements. It was crazy. It's amazing how it goes, but that's where you have to really double check what you're doing. And you, yeah, we're going to make it a deal. You might not, but the thing is that it's not as professional where you're having all your bills. They keep all their expenses. The rent rolls are updated. Everything is, you know, you know, I's are dotted, T's are crossed. Um, so when you're speaking to new, you know, you do a lot of speaking engagements and I saw you speak once before. And um, when speaking to new investors, what do you suggest for them when they're starting out? Number one, you have to define what your goal is. So I see it a lot where investors will struggle. They'll just say, I want I want an investment. I need an investment property. And it's like, what are you looking for first? And what's your goal? So that'll help you define your criteria. If you're looking for an asset that's, that generates a lot of cash flow, you know that may be a different asset to invest in as opposed to um, something that's maybe a mix of value add and less cash flow. So defining the goal is is number one, and you should be able to define that goal within a couple of hours, right? Mm -hmm. Sit down, turn the technology off, and truly think about what is important to you, to your life situation, and what type of investment is going to bridge that gap. What is the right thing for you? And then second to that, 
Number two, you just have to get started. So there's a lot of people out there who will say there's no good deals or, you know, I need to find a partner first. I need to get an LLC set up. No, define your goal, figure out what asset class you're going after, and then go and buy something as quickly as you can. Um, because I think getting started is going to be what teaches you and it helps you get over that hurdle so then you can go out and find deal number two and so on and so forth. You get the momentum going and um, you're always going to make mistakes, but it's one thing is uh, I, I keep a list of different mistakes I've made with real estate, stuff you would never do again, stuff, mistakes you made. I mean, imagine you have that written down or not where you're like, well, I'll never, I'll never buy this type of property again or this ass or this, uh, you know, this unit mix or whatever it might be. And um, not that you've lost money on it, but maybe you didn't, exceed your expectations or meet your expectations. And that's very important when you're, when you're definitely, when you're dealing with investors money. Um, what are some of the things you would say to, uh, to avoid other than just sitting on your hands and kind of pushing everything back? What do you see from other new investors that come in? Um, I mean, I know obviously being educated and uh, there's so many different avenues with real estate. You can make money in wholesaling, you, you know, as we're talking about investing passively and investing actively for long term. Uh, what else do you see people do that are mistakes that maybe they come to you afterwards and they've said something to you for like new investors? Um, you know, one mistake I think that a lot of people make is, again, taking too long to get started. Um, mm -hmm. So have a true look at your your goals in your current situation. And so, you know, I hear a lot of people that say, I want to be a multifamily syndicator. We, I want to buy 150 unit apartment communities. If you have no real estate experience, <laughs> right? Smart investors should never invest yeah. with you. If you have zero experience and you want to go out and buy one massive deal. Um, so from that point, you need to understand where you're at. You need to get started and getting started before you buy an asset, it could mean networking, finding someone with experience that you could work alongside or work for to build that experience. Also, you know, doing large multifamily deals, it, it takes money of your own, right? We have alignment of interest. I personally invest in every single deal as well as my business partners that our investors invest in too. So that alignment of interest is important. And if you have zero money starting out, you know, maybe you need to start wholesaling a couple of deals to get the rhythm, right? It's going to help you identify a good deal because someone should buy it for more than you get it under contract for. And I think there's a lot of ways that you can get started. So again, it really comes back to what's your goal and what do you need to do to bridge that gap. So if your goal is to buy a property with cash flow, you know, do you have money to do that? If you don't, how do you build relationships? How do you start to accrue yet that equity nest eggs so you can get started? Yeah. I think that's uh, the proof of concept as you did it when you're with your commercial property where you invested with your own money, you you solidified a, a you know the value add, you got your money back out. You went through the whole business plan pretty much with that property. And um, now you can show it to investors that you have experience, that you know what you're doing. Um, I think the other thing too is the, the lack of money, which whether it's with syndicating, you're not just going to come out. There's tons of money up front that you have to put down. 
Um, with all those reports you're talking about, all the inspections, extremely expensive, the earnest money that has to go hard, all this kind of stuff. Um, the other thing too is if someone's not even syndicating, they're just buying a property and they're just having issues putting together the down payment, it's a, it's a recipe for disaster. Because without the reserves, um, you know, it's just a mess. It's going to go back to the bank because you just, whatever HVAC's going to go wrong, some tenant's going to break something, you need to have the reserve that go into it. So it's really having that, you know, you got to have the money and you got to have, when you start taking investors' money, I think it's, you've got to really have uh, experience with your own money prior. And um, oh, couldn't agree more. Yeah. Um, so you're also an author and mentor. So tell us about, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So in, uh, in my free time, I like to write children's books and it's all focused on money and financial lessons. So I've got a series out there. It's called the wealth lessons for kids. Mm -hmm. I've written two books so far. They're both available on Amazon. The first book is called the boy who lost his wallet and it goes through the lesson of the importance of taking responsibility. I truly believe that every person out there is responsible for their own financial situation. Whether you're five years old or 50 years old, it's your responsibility to handle and track your money, right? You need to know how much income you're making, how much your monthly expenses are, and manage the both of them so you can ultimately save money every month and put that money back to work for you. Don't spend it on silly consumer items, but having money work for you is the way to financial freedom. It's the way to living a comfortable life where you're not worried about your finances on a regular basis. The second book is um, Danny and the Ice Cream, and it's, uh, it's just a basic book on um, how to kind of count and spend your money um, when you do that. And so I really target, you know, the young people of the world with these books. And so parents and aunts and uncles and grandparents can have fun with the young people and also teach them valuable life lessons that I learned through my personal experiences. Mm -hmm. And so I document them in those books. And then from a mentoring perspective, you know, I just work with people in my community um, on an informal basis to help them get started and help them achieve their financial goals and investment goals and help people, you know, figure out how to put their money to work for them so they can live the abundant life that they deserve. Yeah, that's great. It's so important that people have to get their personal finances in line because I speak to people and, you know, you can't manage a business money or especially not investors money. If you're, if you're, you know, if you can't get your personal finances in line, it's so important before taking the next step into investing into anything. Um, so how can people learn more about you, Danny, and your business? Yeah, well, if you're interested in investing passively in multifamily real estate, go to our website, passiveinvesting.com. And then if you want to check out what I've been working on or some of my books or podcasts or blogs, just go to dannyrandazzo.com and you can get all of the information there to stay up to date with what I've been working on. Okay, great. I'll put all those links in the bottom of the video and of the podcast. So I want to thank you today for being on the show and uh, let's touch base soon. Charles, that sounds great. Thank you so much for having me on today. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hi, guys. This is Charles from the Global Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in investing in real estate 
and you don't know where to begin, set up a free 15-minute strategy call with me at ScheduleCharles.com. That's ScheduleCharles.com. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Harborside Partners Incorporated exclusively.